This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You, you do whatever you want, Jeff. You can go for it. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. Let's do everybody. This. All right. Ladies and germs, I'm here. This is Jeff Fader of the Full Blast Podcast. I'm here with the great Tyler Bell. Tyler Bell is a fascinating young man, and he must be tired. He must be tired because he just thankfully changed his schedule so to accommodate to being on this podcast. You just came back from a, a, a long trip from Montana. Yeah. What a week. Holy cow, Jeff. Well, well, who did you see? I know who you saw, but why don't you tell why don't you tell us all about it, Tyler? So I just spent a week building forging a chair with Alex Steele. Um, what a great opportunity. I got dude, I gotta say, like Alec and Will, nicest, most polite guys you'll ever meet. What a good time. That's they're good dudes. I you know, I met both of them. It's very interesting because I met Will a few years ago. And honestly, there's no reason why Will and I should be friends only because we're so different. But for some reason, and I've had nothing but respect for Will. Will's unbelievable. I want to have him on the pod. He, I always, I was, he didn't come on the podcast. He's like, don't threaten me with a good time. And he always says something very funny. And he's very funny. But for some reason, he's very, you know, Eagle Scout and fine, you know, upstanding citizen. And he's, and I'm, I kind of represent the opposite. And his, his parents are not really super, super cool to me. And I feel like there's this like weird, he needs a little yin yang in his life. And I guess maybe I'm the yang. You know what I mean? <laughs> nice yeah so you went out to bozeman yes yes and then you and then you and then you guys for you just de- you design and forge a chair i saw the first episode with uh with alec and tell us what that was like tell me what that was like yeah so so first of all we've spent uh i think seven so we forged monday through saturday we took sunday off and i extended i was supposed to drive home on saturday Right. And then, you know, we still weren't done, so we pushed it a couple days, and then we pushed it another couple days. We worked Monday, the second Monday. We finished at 3 a.m. Tuesday morning. I slept for four hours, drove home to Seattle, and then went to work this morning, the following day at 5 a.m. Oh, my so God. I so you didn't get a lot of pooped. sleep. Yeah, no, but totally How far of a drive it. was it? Ten hours. Oh, my God. Young, you youth, it. youth, and you guys. You did, now, did you design the chair before you went out there? Yeah, so it was it was it was roughly based off a chair I found on Pinterest, but I brought the picture into Fusion three hundred and sixty and just sketched out on top of the picture and brought some angles in from that. But you know, drew up the rest of the dimensions off the top of my head. Look at you, and then you, but you guys had arranged to do this collaboration together, right? Yeah. Yep. Tyler is Tyler. You have I. I went down the Tyler Bell makes rabbit hole over the weekend, watching all your videos, and he's a Tyler is a great YouTuber. I don't really watch a lot of YouTube, but there I've you know friends, and I I learned about you through Chris Zepp of Make Everything Shop, and and I'm just you're interesting to me because you know that you're this very 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 approachable young man, and. I have noticed watching your videos you do I've noticed a very very strict a fork in the road in your decision making. You either do you know videos about building something like 
furniture. I saw the beautiful coffee table you made and the, the steps, the, um, the chair with the leather seat. And then, you know, these very form, these form-oriented projects. And then I see that you kind of like go strictly into function. Like you'll have a video mm-hmm. where you have a, a, an idea to make. Like you want to make something that's very, very, you know, one particular, you know, object. You want it to do one thing. Like you made this incredible video about uh, making a machine that only hit home runs. And it was very, very, uh, it was a very, very uh, f- functional decision. So I'm I'm interested in the fact that you kind of do these both both these things. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I uh, I say that I well, so I, first of all, everything, almost all of my ideas come from like a need or a problem, right? Whether that's practical or impractical. Like I say that all of my ideas are solving a problem, practical or impractical. So sometimes I solve a practical problem with an impractical solution, right. or you know, uh, impractical problem with a practical solution or, you know, any combination of those two. Huh. Um, yeah, form, f- function. I, I think function can be as nice as form. I think I, you know, having something function really well can be just as nice as having something. A hundred percent. I mean, but that's, I mean, the form of the, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're solving a problem. You know, but it's this very, very. I, 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 I love. That's the one thing when I look at your videos, and I almost started looking at them, but not by the date, but by the. I'm going to look at a formal. I'm going to look at his videos of the formal stuff, the the the, um, the very, very formal stuff, and then I'm going to watch. I watched last night. I watched you uh, pulling the toothpaste back into a tube using the vacuum, the vacuum <laughs> chamber, and and uh, I, I, I'm I'm interested in what your direction is, what your what your direction is in terms of your YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, I love that question because I think about my my why and where I'm headed a lot. Um, so the goal with every video is to inspire you to challenge yourself, to learn new things, and to show that you are capable. Right. capable of making the things that you want to make or learn the, learning the things you want to learn. Mm-hmm. And as far as direction of the channel, so that that why or mission or whatever you want to call it, that keeps me open to to be very broad and be able to... Uh, the, the goal... My goal is that the takeaway from my channel isn't necessarily what I'm making. It's like when I look at the channels that I enjoy the most... What I enjoy about them most isn't necessarily what they build or what the video topic is. It's how they solve problems, how their brain works, and their personality. And so I try to keep that the takeaway from my channel so that it's not about what I build necessarily. I can leave it broad. And so I want to take the direction of my channel. Um, I want it to be sort of a combination of a few things like Smarter Every Day, Colin Furs, Mark Rober, and Mythbusters. So right. I want Mark Rober's already doing, and Smarter Every Day is already doing a pretty good job of this. And that it's it's like a combination of making, problem solving, and science education, and just ridiculous ideas. Hmm. So I want to like I'm not an engineer. Um, but I want to incorporate some engineering and science education, not necessarily in that I'm 
teaching, but more like I'm explaining things as I see it and I'm encouraging you to ask questions and be curious and do some learning on your own as well. Well, you're definitely a journeyman. You know what I mean? When I say journey is in like there are people who are interested in the destination, the final destination, and then mm-hmm. there are people who are enjoying the journey along the way. Absolutely. And I'm definitely based on what you're saying and how I see it and how, you know, sometimes things don't go your way uh, on in the videos, but it's con- it's always about the journey, which I always I feel that that same way. But uh, it's interesting. It's super interesting to me because I, I you can tell that you're sincerely interested in what you're doing which is seems to me like it would be very hard when you're making a YouTube channel. Like I, I see what you guys are doing and I, I see, I talk to Chris Zepp a lot and I talk to, I don't do YouTube videos for a number of reasons. We can talk about that on the time, but I'm fascinated by the fact that you look like you truly and, and Alex in the same way, you guys look like you're really enjoying it. But when you kind of strip away that whatever nine minute, 11 minute video, I know that there are, hours and hours and hours and hours of editing and shots and retaking shots and redoing things. And I, I still can't believe you find the joy in it. Do you? Yeah, I think, I think one thing I've tried to do from the beginning is only make the projects that I'm most passionate about at the moment. And sometimes that means like I've got a project lined up and I, I push it off to realign something. And that, that'll probably change when I have sponsor commitments and things like that. But I've also been very fortunate to not have to, to not need to do client work or sell the things I make. Right. I've, I've never, I've never sold something I've made, I don't think. Hmm. And so that's been, that's kept it very, uh, given me a lot of freedom to do exactly what I'm most passionate about. That makes a lot of sense because I was kind of like, when I, when I looked at your videos and look at how you're doing things, I was saying, well, he's doing the YouTube channel because he enjoys making the videos. He's not doing it to sell he's not, you know, like, you know, Chris will, Chris will, he does jobs on this, you know, he'll, people reach out to him to do jobs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, it just, it, if, if I'm, I, and same thing with Alec, I mean, Alec, they'll I mean, once in a while, they'll make a sword or something or a knife and then they'll put it up for auction because you're not doing YouTube videos for the sake of selling what you're making or what you're going to make. You really can dive in and enjoy the process itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily about the thing I make most of the time. That's all, that's amazing. What do you what do you think your favorite project has been lately? I really like the home run machine. That was such The, the which machine? The home run machine. That was insane. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that so much. Um it was at the time it was like by far the biggest project I've done in scale. Um, I had to bring in people to help me test it on the day of. I had to go rent a compressor and like go take it to a location and do location scout. By the way, I, I started building the home run machine in August. And by the time it was ready to test for the video, it was like mid late October. And all the baseball fields around me were closed. Huh. And so I was scrambling to find a field that looked good on camera. So I didn't have to push it off to the spring. That was very stressful. But it just... It was such a cool, like it's, you know, it's a baby step towards what I'm going for, but like the Mythbusters scale project where you've got, you know, a big location you need, you, you're going to need some more equipment to rent and stuff, and you're going to need people to come help you do this thing and people to run cameras. And 
I was fortunate to have my buddy Ed help me film the testing of the home run machine. It was just very cool to get a taste of that larger scale project of such a crazy idea that I'm working towards. It was such so the home run machine. If you haven't seen, you got to go. P.S. You got to go see. You have to go see Tyler Bell's YouTube channel. He's got great videos. And the home run machine was by far the most, the biggest scale and, amb and ambitious project you've done. And I mean, if you don't mind me saying, a little bit the scariest. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? I mean, oh my gosh, terrifying. The, but however, there is one video I'm going to talk about later that you seem more scared than you did with the home run machine. So the home run machine is it looked like, I'm just going to, I mean, it was a welded frame and then uh, maybe what, four by four, something similar, like a, a, a block, a box, something like that with, yeah. Um, yeah. well, you want to explain what it looked like and, and how it worked? Yeah. It was, so it was a, it's like a two inch square tube welded steel frame with a, um, a spindle through some flange bearings and on that spindle perpendicular to it was an arm that swung horizontally and that arm had a bat bolted to it and then wrapped around the spindle uh, was a chain connected to two three-inch bore pneumatic cylinders and then those cylinders had uh, 140 PSI um, pumped into the inlet and I drew a vacuum on the exhaust and then I held the the piston open like preloaded on the chain with a quick release that you would use for sailing <laughs> and so instead of using uh, like a pneumatic valve to actuate the cylinder I just preloaded it pulled the quick release and then it you know unspooled the chain and swung the bat how very long, scary how, it was incredible and I, and and one of the, a few of the things that particular video made me anxious is because like you were saying I mean you had like two trucks unloading sandbags and, a, and compressors and you had like a toolkit on you and it just seemed like it was such an ordeal and the video was great it was it seemed like it was such a production to do how long did it take how long would it take between you know between you know using it one hit to to reload it and get it ready for a second hit yeah that that part i underestimated it was like five minutes to reset and we did a bunch of hits i think we ended up shooting there at the ba at the baseball field for like four hours oh that's not that that's not as bad as i thought i thought i thought yeah. you'd have been there all day <laughs> it was it was it was it was super super cool is you still have it in your at your house or yeah yeah well it's in storage right now jeez ways i mean how do you yeah. how do you how do you how do you get bigger than that i mean what's i mean oh, the reception yeah. must have been very good Oh, just you wait, Jeff. Oh, Things no. will get bigger. Oh, bigger than that? Bigger than the oh, home absolutely. run machine? Absolutely. I hope so. Jeez Louise. That's I'm, I, Listen, like I said, I, you know, it's funny because I went from that to <laughs> the funnier. Another funny thing is I was watching your, 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 some of your, some of your projects are based on like, uh, almost like a cliche. It's like, you, you know, when you bring me <laughs> the toothpaste so you had an empty toothpaste. You wanted to see if you could get the toothpaste back in the tube, and it was this very interesting project that where he had these. He was trying to use a vacuum chamber to put toothpaste back in a tube. The funniest part to me about that project was your brother looked like he did not want to be there. And if I was your brother, I wouldn't want to be there either. And because when I say you know how long did it take to reload the baseball machine. Every time 
so so you want to explain what happened, and then I just want to kind of, I just kind of want to needle you a little bit about you know what had happened. So how does it work? How did the toothpaste tube? Okay, so so you have a deflated tube. So everybody's heard the phrase, you can't put toothpaste back in the tube, right? So right. I was just trying to debunk that. So I have a deflated tube of toothpaste with the toothpaste in a little cup. And you put the, the deflated tube inside a little vacuum chamber I made. But the nozzle of the toothpaste tube is sealed outside the vacuum chamber. So the point is, there's a pressure difference between the inside of the toothpaste tube and the outside of the toothpaste tube. And so when you draw a vacuum outside it, it inflates and draws toothpaste in like a syringe. Right. It was, it looked, in the beginning, it was a great video because it was totally about the journey. And it seemed as though there wasn't as much pressure on you because there wasn't as much you know, physical labor involved in that project. So mm-hmm. I got to see you kind of enjoy, I felt like you were enjoying yourself more. The baseball, the baseball, they, they, they were so much invested. And I don't have no idea but in terms of money or anything like that, but just, you know, there's so much time invested in, in the baseball, the, the um, home run machine. I felt like I could see a little bit of like the pressure was on at the end. But with the toothpaste, it was this fun little moment and you made some adjustments, but and your and your brother looked like he was just like I gotta turn this guy. I have to turn this thing on every every time. And then you have to reset it because the air was coming in, and it looked like I wanted more of your brother because I felt like I know that if if I was your brother and you asked me to help you, I'd be like Tyler, we really <laughs> we have to do. It didn't work. You, we have to keep doing this. It just didn't work. That's so funny. Yeah, shout out to my brother. What a trooper. He's a super up trooper. With my crazy ideas. There was another I like I want more of your brother cuz I can also tell there was another video where I think you shocked yourself and then he immediately <laughs> stuck his face in front of the camera and like gave the thumbs up or something like that. Yeah, I had just welded something and I go to pick it up. Oh, that's right. And I burn myself and he's just standing there off camera watching me do it the whole time like he could have warned me but he didn't. He chose not to. <laughs> When did you when did you decide that you wanted to do YouTube videos? Was there was there a time because it seems like it was like a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, so I launched my YouTube channel in August of 2018. Um and then I spent 9 months prior to that preparing the YouTube channel. And then you know, when I decided in December of 2017 i was i had been watching let's see december 2017 i'd been watching the maker community for about a year and watching hours of youtube a week and you know at that and throughout that year i had started making stuff seriously like i was doing a project one a month in my free time always making something and i had just it done it so regularly and watched so much youtube content that i figured you know maybe i should uh, maybe I have something to share, and maybe I can pull this off. That may that is interesting to me because you're also you have quite a look, and this is a co- compliment. I, I'm very envious of you. Have a very friendly vibe. You have a very you have a the, your whole everything about you is just like it seems very perfect for this. I, I equated a little bit to Alec too because you both have this very uh, infectious joy enjoy what you're doing and i can tell that you uh actually enjoy it i even watched that uh i watched that uh one of your first ones with uh i guess you were restoring an axe and you welded an axe up and you, you made a uh, my car to handle and it just you've you've 
of all the YouTubers, and I don't watch a lot of YouTube. I, I honestly, I don't watch a, I don't watch a lot of anything just because I need to be like moving around. I, so when I sit down and watch things, it kind of just kind of gets me depressed. But that's my own problems. But I'm fascinated by the fact that I can tell that you really put everything into it in your music choices, your your the way you do the camera angles. Have you always been very? When you were younger, were you were you making a lot of stuff? Uh. I didn't have a ton of opportunity to make stuff like I wasn't making stuff regularly like projects on my own growing up that much but I have always had this itch and like this uh, I guess engineer's mindset or this problem solving mindset where I just like I I've always been curious about working with my hands and like talking through ideas of ridiculous projects and things with my dad growing up and I remember being bored in the summer as a young kid asking my dad to take me to Home Depot just to look around because, oh. you know, like I didn't know what I didn't know and I wanted to know what kind of materials there that it existed for me to, to be able to work with. What, what does your dad do? My dad just retired from Boeing as a, a mechanical engineer, started out in the wind tunnel and then retired from the Boeing Business Jets group. And Whoa. my stepdad is, uh, he also works at Boeing. He's a, uh, uh, manager for their industrial engineering. Now, also do you work for engineer. Boeing too? I work for Boeing, yes. Wow. As the well whole as family's brother. in Boeing. Yeah. And what do you do there? I work in a shop where I prototype solutions to help people do their job better. Huh. Do you enjoy so, it? Yeah, it's really fun. I make I, I make all sorts of stuff and I get to solve problems every day. People come to me with a problem and then I design and prototype and iterate and then deliver an end result. Wait a second. Like what kind of problems do they come to you with? Uh, anything. You can, you can be vague. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's anything from like, uh, like a small handheld tool to help with. It's anything to like ergonomics or safety or quality keeping or reducing defects on the aircraft or making uh, the process go faster more lean or something like that what a f what an interesting job have you been there for a while i've been in that job for about a year and then the three years before that i was in production building aircraft wow you seem like you're like much younger than you are if you don't mind me asking I mean, i'm 23 23 You've been in the workforce for four years. Yes, sir. God bless you. That's amazing. So, so you, you was your first job with Boeing? No, I worked at Jiffy Lube for a year out of high school. Dude, the, I tell you what, I, that's the one thing that I wish I had had some experience in. Mm -hmm. The car, I have no, I have, I don't know anything about cars. Literally, like there'd be something wrong with my car, and I have no idea how to do anything. I love it. I, I think that's great. Did you, did you, so you're, so you're, and it's very fast paced. At Boeing? No, oh, Jiffy, Jiffy Lube. Lube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jiffy Lube, very, very fast paced, yeah. And then, and then did you, then you, then from there you went to Boeing? Yeah, basically, yep. Yeah. Wow. So what do you, what I mean, do you think you're going to stick there, stick around for, for a while? So you, pardon me. You were in the production, you were in the production shop and what were you doing there? I started out um, in, as a structures mechanic for the 777. So I was building the fuselage, you know, riveting and bolts and skin panels. Uh, and then I worked a short time on the 777X, which at the time was a developmental program. So I was doing like 
like helping rewrite specs and do things for the very first time using brand new developmental tools that had never been used before on processes we'd never used before. So it was a, a very cool uh, program to work on. And then from there, I went down to the 737 program uh, as an in-tank mechanic. So I crawled inside the wings and installed fuel tubing. Wow. So you were using a lot of now, this makes a lot of sense, and I, I'm, I'm asking this. I think I knew a little bit that you were, worked for Boeing or so, something along those lines. Where did, did you go to school for engineering? or? So I graduated high school with a, an associate's degree, and then while I was at Jiffy Lube, I did a 12-week program for aircraft assembly, and that was, that was it. This is, this is fascinating to me. Because one of the things, the last metal shop I was in, it was less ornamental ironwork and more um, structural work for outside of buildings. And also, we did a lot of work with glazers. So we were making storefronts, aluminum storefronts. And we were constantly using aluminum and, you know, aluminum extrusions. And we were, you know, it was all stock stuff. And we were learning how to, I was basically learning backwards i have a you know my experiences with welding steel and stuff like that but now i was learning how to be use uh aluminum but we weren't welding the aluminum it was all mechanically fastening and and and, mm-hmm. and cutting and filing and one of the things that interests me that i was that that i see that you do in a lot of your videos is you use aluminum and you use it in a way that a mechanic when i say a mechanic back uh in the shop that i was in it was like a it was a it was a you know like a metal shop but i mean we were doing much more mechanical fastening of of steel and aluminum and stuff and they called us mechanics we weren't doing we weren't working with cars but the the boss there he worked a lot of non-union and union jobs in the city and we do work with glazers and they were called we were called mechanics so we were constantly cutting out, notching, and figuring out ways to use, you know, countersinking the aluminum yeah. and using aluminum extrusions. And when I watch your videos, I see a lot of the stuff that I had learned later in life in your videos. Mm-hmm. Your use of uh, aluminum and, you know, cutting tabs and not being afraid to, you know, use a table saw to cut the aluminum. It's something that a lot of people don't know. That's a great observation because that's. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I'm used to. Like, um, as an aircraft mechanic, I, you know, everything is mechanically fastened aluminum. And even at my day job in that prototyping shop, I, um, like, we have a weld shop or a machine shop that I can go down the aisle and outsource some parts of my job to. But I try to, you know, like, I, I have some stuff welded, but uh, because it's just, easier or faster or sometimes just a, a cooler challenge for me i like to do do it myself and we use a lot of aluminum and i you know do a lot of mechanical fastening and even at home that sort of solution is kind of born out of um like sometimes aluminum just makes sense for the project and i don't have a a, a welder for it right so i just make it work but a lot of people don't realize that's that's the interesting thing if you learn how to weld steel and you're welding up railings and stuff, that's one thing. But then you go to a shop where you have to build a, uh, you know, a, you know, I'm using the storefronts because storefronts are all, 
you know, aluminum extrusions. You have the uprights and then you have the cross sections and then you have these cross sections that have like a slot and the slot is to fit your glass. And usually there's like, if you have a, if you have like a, um, if, let's say you have a storefront with a lot of glass, you're going to have your uprights and you're going to have your, your, your channels. And then there's going to be a pocket and you, you can order all this stuff aluminum with the pockets and then you have room to measure how much room you need for your glass and then you slide your glass in, and then even these aluminum extrusions have these like um a, f- a fitting for uh rubber gaskets and the rubber gaskets are stand it, any carpenter can make an aluminum storefront uh like you would see in any you know like uh you know whatever chase manhattan for god's you know chase bank or whatever they're very mm-hmm. very standard and but the thing is, is most people are very intimidated by using aluminum, especially the drilling and the tapping, and then the. Uh, but I completely. Well, that probably was one of the reasons why I liked your videos so much because I was just like, okay, this guy has been in a mechanic shop using aluminum because he's not afraid. Yeah, it's something. I don't know. It's just something I'm super comfortable with. Although making the pneumatic bottle opener and tapping all those 440s in eighth inch aluminum was not fun and and gonna, uh, very, very nervous about you know wrecking it we're going to get to the bottle opener the bottle okay. opener my we're gonna get to the bottle opener but i one of the things about the way you work and the one of the reasons why your videos are so approachable too is because i'm gonna i'm not gonna beat up chris but i'm gonna say that a lot of people i'm not beating up chris chris is my friend he's got so many tools it seems as though it's almost inapproachable for people to have the tools that he has. I've been to a shop. I was at a shop two weeks ago. It's incredible. And he, his knowledge, his knowledge on how things work, his knowledge on machining, it's, it's incredible. And the way he can remember numbers and the way he can remember part numbers, and it is a little bit off-putting to me. That's just me. One of the things about your shop and the way you work is everything you have in that shop is very approachable. Everything in that shop, including your welder, is something that you could get at a Home Depot. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you, a lot of people complain to friends of mine, they're like, well, if I had all those tools, I could do that too. I feel like you put out more with the tools that you have than most people with bigger shops. Wow. It's true. That's interesting. It's true. You, all the tools that you use are the tools that you can get very easily. And, and you make projects and then you work within the confines of what you have, but you use your head. You have experience in that in the Boeing shops, you know, different ways in which to mechanically fasten things. And there is a much higher level of your output because of the experience that you have. And you're not daunted by the equipment that you have. Yeah, I uh, yeah, you make do with what you got. But I, I see in the future, you know, when I, I get more space specifically, like I'll be buying more machines. Y- right. You work with what you have. And so as I grow and acquire more machines, more skills, it won't be like I'm anticipating the comments on YouTube five, ten years from now when I have more tools of like, well, I wish you did more limited hand tool type projects as you used to but you know like i was talking to jason from fireball tool right about his water jet and he gets the comments of like oh all you had to do is just load the steel and push a button but as you get bigger tools it doesn't make it less work or require less skill like what running that water jet like he walked me through it it is it 
it takes an insane amount of skill and technical knowledge to be able to operate that machine. See, this is the problem. This the the problem with the problem with the YouTube comments, and I'm not a big fan of YouTube just in just for the comments in the, in themselves. The fact is, is a lot of these people, it's it's like you do, you don't necessarily need a pat on the back or a medal for your intentions. You know, I just I don't I always get very like a perfect example is my shop. I mean, right now I don't have any assistants, I don't have any employees, and the, one of the reasons why is because I, be be honest with you, because of COVID nineteen, I'm having we're having a big my uh, we're having a you know my kids' school has just got closed down for a week, and my my where my mother's living, I just got a note that they're all in lockdown in their building, and you know it, it, I I just want to try to be as you know limited as possible, so I'm I have a lot of tools that I use to my advantage. I just got a message from a guy. I'm working on uh, a pile of um, I'm working on a pile of knives. I got a water jet cut just because I don't have the physical capability to keep my prices the way they are and to yeah. cut the stuff out. It's just I can't do it, and, and I want to provide value. And part of that value is being able to get something water jet cut. One guy sent me a message. He says, "Are these are these forged or are they are they stock removal?" This is the which is the oldest. St- dumb question in the book it doesn't does it matter but I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that the other thing is is because you're a youtuber and i know that you have a very you're you have a very clean image and i always even i, I hated to do it but i scanned your everyone's very supportive of you you have a very you're you, but i feel like maybe you're are you preparing for for trouble are you preparing <laughs> for nasty comments well we'll see when when um the videos start getting more views, I'm sure the comment tone will change as I get more traffic, which, you know, it's something I'm already starting to see on Alex's video with me in it. But, you know, it's, I, it's whatever, you know, what do you, I don't try not to let it get that? to me. How do you, how do you not let it get to you? I had a guy just post something, just make a snide comment and it, and it took me right out. I don't know how you, I don't know how you guys deal with it. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think in general with people, even outside of comments, I kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'm too nice in that, but like you know, I I think there's things in about the comments that make some of them seem rude, and that it's mm. a bad translation, or people just don't know how to put their words into text. Texting is hard, anyways. But yeah, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm being too nice but <laughs> i know i you i think that you've made yourself so approachable in terms of your your look and the way you do it i i don't even know how you is there like a mathematical equation to when you're making your videos and how many different types of shots i have to take like i would think in my mind i would think oh i just don't want to get to the editing room and say off oh, i forgot to do this picture what i got to get my shirt back on you know i gotta i gotta wear the uh, same clothes i did before i gotta get the lighting right yeah, I threw I threw out the clothing continuity very early. It's just way too much to keep track of. Too much. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It just seems like it's all too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, when I do these podcasts, no editing. I, if I had to edit this, I know that some people edit their podcast. If I had to do sit down and actually edit this thing, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I can't. It just seems like it's just too much work. That's why I think that you you do such a good job, including the music. I, I love the music of your. I love. I like your everything that you're doing, and I also like. I'll tell you what I really liked. 
I like back, you know, I'm, I'm, I still see your videos like a fork in the road, the, the formal furniture, the formal stuff, and then the stuff that's like filling a need, the functional stuff. And the dishwashing, the dishwashing machine, <laughs> the dishwashing machine was one of my favorite videos. My, one of my favorite moments in all of your videos was you were making, so basically it was the idea of, I'm going to take a, you took the, um, you took a windshield wiper off a of Volvo uh, headlamp. Yeah. And then you made it, you, you made like a little box that like it had arms and it armatures. And then you basically hold the plate up and then the plate would, the, the, the dishwashing machine would scrape the plate into the garbage. And yeah. the funny thing is, is the food is going all over the place and you're, 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 you count down every time you test something out, you three, two, one. And it doesn't matter what it is, a home run machine or a disc, I, I, you have a whole thing going on. And one of my favorite moments of that video Besides the broken plate, which you definitely have to watch this video because it's funny. It's hilarious. But there was either like a shock or a short or something happened. Something surprised you. You stopped oh, yeah. everything and put both your hands on the table and was like, <sighs> it was this moment of like, it's all too much for me. What am I doing with this? this dish machine it's yeah. all too much and something just exploded yeah big shot anxiety in that moment just like oh my gosh i was not ready for that it was uh oh i i had started out with a really small motor and it was right. underpowered and so i went to a much much larger motor and the first time i hooked up the battery to it it jumped at a million rpm and scared the crap out of me yeah it's just no, too much it would have just that was the best. I, that was the best moment of. That was the realest moment of all. It hmm. just jumped, and you just stopped everything and put your hands on the table, looked down, and it was like this sigh of like, "I've got to calm down with these. I got to calm down with these. <laughs> these. I cannot. I cannot hurt myself from a dishwashing machine." Right. Right. I'm glad you liked that moment. I almost took it out. That's, oh, that's good to that, know. That might have been top five moments of all time. That might, that wow. might be my top mo moment of all your movies. I got sucked. <laughs> my, I'm, I'm upstairs. In my kid. My I'm upstairs in my kids' room. I'm keeping her company, watching this. And my wife walks. What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in her bedroom watching, you know, Tyler Bell videos. And I'm just like, ah, just you know, doing a little research for the podcast. Like, what, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I know he's making a dishwashing machine. I'm like, oh, dishwashing machine. I was like, yeah, he's scraping the plate with a with a Volvo wiper. <laughs> normal and she goes oh this is your job i'm like well you know i gotta have content don't i podcast is important there you go as you do <laughs> there you go so wh when we when we when, what is the next what's the next big project give me a little hint what are your thoughts where do you want to go hmm um the next big ridiculous idea uh i'm going to reinvent the fly swatter in a you... very interesting way oh I like a, these. I like these videos. In a these, very ridiculous, absolutely impractical, shouldn't exist kind of way. They're, they're very like sharp action objects. Mm -hmm. Like it's you're making these like sharp action objects, and I'm wondering why. I'm wondering <laughs> why you know. I actually I thought about maybe later. I, I had some. I had some. Uh, invention ideas that i used to do come up with when i was a kid and and uh, i wanted to kind of blow them past you and see if, mm, yeah. see what you thought but i th when i look at the when i look now that with the with the fly swatter you had a you had an air cannon what did you you were shooting the air cannon for something you made an air a quick air uh, cannon and you're shooting dynamite plunger the dynamite plunger 
the dynamite plunger. You 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 pick these objects. You know that that Colin Furs. I don't really watch a whole lot of him. I, I heard about him from Alec, and I watched his videos. His 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 videos are very like either it's like a it's like either some sort of strange car or it does something fast or it or like he does like cartoon stuff like uh, Wolverine claws or like you know fire out yeah. of his arms. You do these short, very st- strict action objects like the the plun the the dynamite plunger or the home run machine or the uh the what we're talking about the dishwashing machine it's the dishwashing yeah. scraper they're very very like brusque actions it's not none of them are slow that i guess you i guess you can't do slow <laughs> danger i think i think more th- everything's more fun with danger yeah you just got to add some risk to it and some uh you know risk nothing wrong with peril you need, little, <laughs> you need a little peril in your life i understand and how yeah. do your parents how do your do your parents just just say all right well you know tyler's out there making something how do they how are they trusting you to not uh you know hurt yourself yeah you know like living at home that's it's not something i try and hide it's i i i'm actually working it into the story of projects more and more like the dishwasher for example yeah. and yeah, so the parent, I mean, they're they're incredibly gracious with the space they give me in the garage and doing my ridiculous projects, and they're very supportive. But sometimes they're like, you know, maybe this is a little too far, Tyler. Don't bring the dishwashing machine in the kitchen that we just had the cabinets refaced. And I, I was, was like, you know, <laughs> well, I- it's okay. It'll be fine. I'll have these precautions, and then, you know... It's like the last, oh my God, this didn't make it in the video. The last time, so so the dishwashing machine has a push rod that pokes back and forth very violently. Yes. And so, um, but it, it stays inside of a slot of another linkage that it mates to. But the last time I tested it, also first of all, the bigger motor I have on it, I only, I couldn't run it past 25% speed because it would literally vibrate the machine to pieces. And so the last test I did, like after I was done doing the video, I turned it up just a little too fast. Oh, and uh, the threaded rod that it was pivoting on cracked. And luckily I turned it off before it cracked fully because don't tell my parents, but it would have, that push rod would have flung around at a million miles an hour and wrecked everything. (laughs) The funny Uh, part about that video was, so the dishwashing machine, it had that like it had like a quarter inch bar that was going back and forth face if you're facing the machine you're holding the plate Mm -hmm. the the and it 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 pushes out and ultimately that's what broke one of the plates scared that i mean it scared me because i thought oh god just you know obviously but one of the funny parts was you finished it you tested it in your, your shop and then you said you made this whole thing. My parents were very nice enough to let me use this in the house. And I could tell that there must have been some conversation. There must have been some uh, there must have been some um, coercion or like promises yeah. made. This was the project that um, the first time they, they kind of were like, you know what? We're going to draw a line in the sand here. You're not going to bring that in the kitchen. And it took a, several days and... The stipulation that I would test it in the garage to make sure that it it works and doesn't destroy everything before I could take it in the kitchen. Really? Um, and so yeah, so so I you know I it was it was mainly like flinging food everywhere, right? Yeah. So uh, 
that was the the biggest issue. So yeah, I did it in the in the garage, and then you know I the machine caught on fire, and then I broke a plate, and somehow they were still cool with letting me bring it into the kitchen. Did you tell them about the fire and the broken plate? Oh, they were sit, they were standing in the driveway watching the whole time, shaking their heads. Yes. What is my son doing? He should be at Boeing right now, but instead he's breaking plates in the garage. They're amazing. Look at you. Look at you. Well, you're such a nice young man. How can your parents possibly be angry with you? I mean, you do such, you do these things for the greater good, don't you? For the greater good, Jeff. For the people. I'm telling you, a little bit of peril, though. I mean, a little peril. Yeah, you know, they got to tell, yeah. gotta let them know. A little, nothing wrong with a little bit of peril. That's the other thing about your your shop that I think is, I, I love, I can tell that your parents are slightly off screen involved because I always think to myself, he's got a nice garage. Is his, his, his parent? He always talks about it. I, I could when you made the vice stand, you said I can't. I want because I in my mind, as soon as I saw the vice stand, like I hope he bolts that to the ground because I only <laughs> say that because I haven't bolted mine to the ground. Yeah. Because I'm always moving it around, and I think to myself, boy, I'd be much happier if everything was bolted to the ground, but I don't want to have to move it around later. And I mm-hmm. and you said and I, so you're doing this vice stand. And you're saying to me, you're saying you're doing it. And I'm, th- and I'm thinking to myself, I really hope you bolts it to the ground. And then in the middle of it, you said, I know you all want me to bolt it to the ground, but this is not my shop. This is my parents. They're nice enough to let me be in here. So let's <laughs> just don't even bring up, I'm not going to bolt it to the ground. You know, it was yeah. very like, you were very smart because you knew that the people would be like, well, if you just bolted it to the ground, you wouldn't have yeah. a problem. But you, 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 mm-hmm. you skirted the issue. I have reasons, people. Yeah, I have reasons. You totally have reasons. Yeah, like you, you, your parents are nice enough to let them to let you, uh, you know, take over their garage. And mm-hmm. I would imagine you keep it very clean for the reason that you you respect your parents to the degree that if it was a dump, you think you marry <laughs> your parents would be like, okay, Tyler, yeah. let's let's uh, this let's let's finish this, let's finish this one off. Yeah, very clean and organized, except for the fact that everything in the garage is covered in grinding dust. That's just, but, this is the problem. You know, this is the problem. Yeah, this is this is that's that's the way it is. But I I I when you bring out these boxes of like pneumatic parts and and dials and you have uh, where did you get your it was it at Boeing where you learned how to use a lot of the pneumatics and and all the infra, all the all the parts. You got all the parts. Where did you learn how to use all these parts? So the the pneumatic Okay, so the foot vice was the first sort of mechanical project ah, that I made. Yes. And I was hooked. I love mechanical things. And so um, the pneumatic bottle opener was the first time I ever used pneumatics. Like I literally started from scratch. I googled like how do valves work? What the heck is a five-way two valve, whatever it's called? And yeah, so I... I had had to do a ton of research on that. Actually, the pneumatic bottle opener, the idea came because I was like, you know, it's time for me to learn how to use pneumatics. I really want to do this. And so I it, I spent like a couple days thinking specifically, what can I do with the pneumatic cylinder? What's like an everyday task that I can apply pneumatics to in a ridiculous, violent, maybe dangerous way? You and need so to I stop came up with dangerous. opening bottles. Your parents are going to cut. You got to use a different word. You have to use, you have to say you have to use a different word. You have to like soften them up because if you keep saying dangerous, they're going to cut you yeah. off. Yeah, it's very true. I'm open to suggestions. Well, peril is always nice. A little Peril's bit of peril. Good. Yeah, a 
a little like peril. Yeah, what's, what's the big deal of a little peril? Um, you know. So, 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 you, so you're researching for the you're researching for the bottle opener, and the bottle opener is something that you want to make with pneumatics. Mm-hmm. And tell me how you got into the bottle opener. So. So I was thinking, what's an everyday task? I thought a pneumatic cylinder has this really could be really fast linear action, and I was thinking, what could I use this to like poke or stab really fast or something without being the obvious choice, like a dumb weapon or something? But you know, I could do like uh, yeah. So I came up with a bottle opener, and then. it's it was is so much oh my god i love that project it's probably that's probably one of my my favorite projects i think my favorite projects are the ones that i get to use well i don't drink but it's like something functional like it works every time right. love it it's the, of all your of all of your projects that one seems like it's it definitely has a crown jewel of your products cuz i i know that you brought it out to show alec and mm-hmm. it, there's something about it that's it's it's maybe because it's so compact and it's there is something I you know I almost I don't, you, you call it the over-engineered bottle opener, and I I I feel like you're being too I feel like you're being too uh, you know it's such a great object that there shouldn't be any joking around about it like I I feel like it's almost when you're saying it over-engineered it isn't over-engineered it's it it's a beautiful object you know it seems mm. like it's something that could be in like a you pull out of a briefcase you know i love how you did um once again using um aluminum and you were jigsaws and i don't think i still people don't realize how easy uh aluminum is i mean to yeah. drill to tap yeah what did you? What did you, and you even? What is it called? You you made a texture on the on the on the face plates on the plates. Was it? I thought it was called yeah. jeweling. Is it? What is I it? I think I've heard it called jeweling or engine turning or machine turning. It's a very like '60s hot rod, um, where you take a, like a Scotch Brite disc and you you know you do like a grid pattern of these little swirls. That was so much fun. See, that was part of it that like. That that was the one part that I felt like bridged the gap between form and function, mm-hmm. because I mean, like the home run machine, you you were just I mean it was such a huge project. I mean, what are you, you going to do? You're going to make like a cage, you know, like a, a you know cover for it? I mean, it's just like I wish I get, had a cage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to get. I mean, there was so much involved that if I were doing, you know, the, the idea was to hit home runs. It wasn't to make it look a certain way, mm-hmm. but the bottle opener. All of a sudden, once you you made a few, it wasn't a giant project. It was very intimate. You use it in your hand. It, it's not like this monstrous thing. And then when you started doing the, the engine turning, those you know those beautiful that beautiful pattern, then it started to become something other than just the function. Like I felt like the form was very important. Thank you. Yeah, I like. And this brings back to what we were talking about earlier about function being a form like i like that there's cutouts in the side and you can see the push rod and the valve linkage and and you can see hosing running through it and stuff you see all the components with the swirling on top i i i have something that i want to get to one another thing i want to get to with you but the next thing i want to talk to you about 
is you and I actually talked for the first time when you started to work on your gun knife, knife gun, yes. knife gun. Yes. Now, that was an interesting project that I, I'm surprised that your parents will let you do. <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun project. <laughs> so it was basically, a, a, uh, it was a, um, a, 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 once again, using aluminum in a very, one of the things about you using aluminum and using all these products, these, these pieces of material, is you made it very approachable. You know, you were making, you were using a router to uh, uh, turn down the corners. And, you know, I, I was very, very impressed with how you were using materials that people would normally not use in a very easy way. There wasn't welding involved. You were cutting, you know, the, in the handle, you would, you know, use the, 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 the table saw to kind of make relief cuts. And I just, I loved how you were using those machines and using the materials and not limiting yourself to just being like a metal worker, you know? Thank you. Yeah. And then you, and then you basically made a repeating, like a pump action, a dart gun. And yeah. then Steve Pellegrino knocked you out some, some darts mm -hmm. or knives and you were shooting knives in your, in your, in your, uh, in your backyard. Yeah, absolutely. As you do. <laughs> as you do. As you do. And what did your parents say when you pulled, when you said, hey, hey, mom, I'm working on that. Come in for dinner, Tyler. Well, we can't. I'm working on the knife gun. Was there any strange <laughs> conversations about that? You know, there was a there was a point in this whole, like, when I started to make stuff regularly and all of my projects have been like, or even, even if my projects are practical, there was a point after I started making stuff regularly for, for a while when they stopped asking why. Right. So, yeah, it just became normal. Like, all right, Tyler's making a knife gun or a machine that breaks plates. <laughs> See, that would have been a funnier name for the, that would have been a funnier name for the video, but I mean, obviously you could do that. Now, when you say practical, does practical really matter? Like when you're making, when you're picking these projects? No, not at all. Like it doesn't, like my... In fact, the projects don't even have to work, right? It's about the journey. Right. It's about solving a problem and learning things and challenging yourself. That's the goal of every video. Because that makes me much more interested in what your goal is in, re in regards to the channel. It isn't really about, it almost is about, obviously it's about the content, but it's, I'm just, I'm looking for this. I, I've been so like watching all these videos and kind of like thinking about, how you do them and I enjoy them so much and I just I'm fascinated by your direction and I know you're still too young to be really thinking about that you don't really have to but you've developed it just seems as though you're you're going from one project to another based on what you want to do and you think ah this will be good content too mm -hmm. that brings me to a project that I, I got I rabbit holed into that you did that I really really I really enjoy I don't enjoy all of them I'm trying to think of one of them I Thank didn't you. enjoy I don't think I do. I enjoyed, I, you know, you also, you're smart. You keep it under 12 minutes. You know, I don't know. I, people do these videos. They're so long. I just don't, I can't, I can't, I can't be invested in these long videos. Like sometimes I actually look at this, the size of the video. Like I'm just like, eh, I don't know if I can do 11 minutes, but I'm, but your videos are, I'm very enjoyable. You, you did a project for your cousin, Tanner. Yeah. Your cousin Tanner is, um, well, he's a, he's a paraplegic amputee. He got, I guess yeah. he got into a motorcycle accident, right? Yes. 
Yes. And he will tell me about Tanner and, and uh, the project that you did for him. Yeah, that was a really, really special project. So my cousin Tanner got into a motorcycle accident, left him paraplegic amputee, uh, amputated th- through the left knee. Um, and so he he really can't feel anything from the, you know, he can't feel his legs, but he can he, he's actually learned to walk again, which is incredible. Um, he's a pretty and, um, incredible person. I got sucked into all his around, YouTube. I got sucked into it. Yeah. You, you put me into his YouTube. I got sucked mm. into his YouTube channel too. Yeah, yeah, great, incredible guy, very impressive. And uh, he, before the accident, he was a very good golfer, and um, you know he's very passionate about golf and sports. And so that's been tough with the accident. But after, you know, I, I had an opportunity to help him. He came to me with a with a problem, like he wants to learn to golf again. And he's doing it, which is incredible. He's got, he's got like, he can get maybe five degrees of rotation out of his spine. Basically can't twist his back at all. Um, he like, you know, he can't feel, he can't trust that he's standing on his legs. So he just kind of has to like trust that his knee's not going to buckle or his, uh, you know, uh, prosthetic is going to hold up. And so it's, it's incredible to see him walk and let alone stand and swing a golf club. And so I had an opportunity to make a solution for him that was basically a backrest for his lower back that he can kind of lean into and put some weight on so he doesn't have to totally trust his knees and the prosthetic while he swings a golf club. It was it was really, really cool to watch because you also, once again, you used very approachable, you used, uh, it looked like PVC piping, yeah. and you were using a heat gun to kind of like squish it so you could drill it together. It was a mm-hmm. it was a very very it was very very special because you could tell I like the fact that he was very like not you know no nonsense with you and we like, oh, this ain't gonna work this one part's like oh we're gonna <laughs> cut this away I can't yeah. this ain't gonna work like this and you were on the fly to to be uh, very very uh, flexible in order for him to get this thing done that was a really really cool video thank you I enjoyed that one a lot and we got it done like I delivered the the project to him the day before he moved to to florida he used to live up here in washington with us so it was very very cool timing very grateful for that project and does he use it not that i know of no, <laughs> I <thought but>. that's, <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. fine that's I the mean, way it is what can you do yeah but yeah but you know and one of the interesting things is you, you so you know i mean it's just such a nice it, to be able to help someone especially someone in your family after something that's just i mean it's just you can't even i can't even think about what it's like to be in that situation and for you to be able to kind of like feed his knee, feed the need that he might have. It was really, really cool. And then I looked at his YouTube channel and he's, he's a paraplegic drag racer or he's not anymore, yeah. but he was. So he was doing, he's got this special car that's like totally souped up and he, he drives it. I don't know, I don't know how, how fast he drives it, but he was doing these videos with reaction shots of like his family in the passenger seat. And he's like, okay, we're going to go now. And then he just, I don't know, he was saying loading. There was some sort of like, I don't know anything about cars, but it like some, some propellant was loading. And next thing you know, he's like gunning it. And then all you see is like, the, the the people in the the people in the, his family on the passenger seat they're wearing these are not normal seat belts these are like these are like I'm ready to eject from the airplane seat belts <laughs> and then their faces like 
explode yeah. and they all kind of lean back and you could tell that the G's are are pushing him and he's laughing and is you know it it was it was wild it's so wild crazy. how much he can do yeah it's crazy and especially like he so he has some he's gained regained some motor like a muscle control in his legs but he still can't feel them so he doesn't have any driving aids so it's just like normal pedals and a, a steering wheel and he's you know feeling around somehow with a numb leg for the right pedals and it's just absolutely insane when you're pulling two plus G's and you're doing like a, I think like a six or seven second quarter mile. What? It, I mean, how fast? I mean, insane. what's two, is two G's, tell me what is two G's? Two G's is twice the force of gravity from Earth. So. Jeez Louise. I think seven G's or something will kill you. Seven you know, five, I think, yeah. Seven G's without hitting something will kill you. Yeah, just just sitting like the blood draining from you, and you know I think astronauts pull like three or four G's at least. So he was doing two G's on a highway. Yeah, that's insane. That's totally that's insane. When you insane. talk to me about two G's, I'm thinking it's just two two thousand dollars. You know, I'm not really, <laughs> I don't really think about that. But the 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 so then he would you have to the video. I think the name. What's the name of his YouTube channel? It's um, um, second chance racing. Second Tanner chance Arbuthnot. Second chance racing, and then he would slow down, and then look at his passenger and say, "How was that?" And then one guy didn't say a word. He's just like kind of mumbling, and then his sister is screaming, and then it, Tanner says, "How's your hands?" And Tanner pulls his hands out, and you can tell he's his hands are his hands are shaking, and his <laughs> hands are shaking because he's so yeah. he was like that was unbelievable. Look at my hands are shaking, and I'm thinking. You just went like wow, two hundred miles an hour, and your hands are mm-hmm. shaking. I don't think I like it that your hands are shaking. I'm not getting <laughs> right. in the car with you. You know, uh, insane. And then he has he brings his in laws in the car. His in laws don't speak a lick of English or a little bit. And he gets his mother in law, and God bless you, Tanner. This is unbelievable. He gets his mother in law, and at first you can tell she's going to be a. This is going to be a problem for her. She's got her hands up like it's like a roller coaster. She's very excited that all of a sudden she gets the he gets the father-in-law in. Doesn't speak a lick English. And the best part was his father because his he didn't, you know, you could tell he's a big guy. I don't know where he's from, but you know, but it, he was just this big guy, looked like he was having such a good time. Very serious. You think, ah, this isn't gonna be a big deal for him. And you could tell when the G's kick in. His whole his gut stick comes in. His face goes back. The whole thing goes back. His face goes a little bit pale. He doesn't say a whole lot, but you can tell it's there's like a physical reaction. Like his stomach and everything like get pushed back into the into the. T- I, I I had such a laugh watching him, and he's and all I can think of is like, if I did that to my in laws, it would be over. They would be like, oh, I'm not getting in that car with you. Are you out of your mind? How's your how's your stomach? Everyone's like, and then he's trying to communicate with his his father in law by giving thumbs up, right? Thumbs up. How did, how did he get it? How did he get his father in law in that car? That's what I want to know. Isn't that hilarious? That's great. Oh man! So here's <sighs> here's the all right. So we're gonna go back. You've done all these videos. You got more coming. You're gonna do. You're working with Alec. It's going over to to Montana. I had some questions about Montana. Now, did you did you did they get you a hotel room or do you stay with somebody? I stayed in a Airbnb. Okay. Did yeah. you eat with them? Uh, they, Alec and Mrs. Steele had me over for dinner one night, but yeah. What is the specialty of Montana? 
This is something mm-hmm. that, like, I think about, like, you know, you're in Cleveland, you get the Skyline Chili, and you're in New York, you get the pizza, you're wherever. What is the specialty of Montana? Is there, like, a food specialties? Like, you go to the diner, and you're like, sure. oh, you got to have this. Uh, I don't know. We, I mean, we had some good steak one night, but mm-hmm. I'm not... I'm not too deep into the. I'm not a foodie, so I'm not entirely dialed into that. I just figured. I figured you're there for a few days. They're like, "Oh, let's let's go. We have to have the elk. We're gonna have some mm. nice elk, and this is what Montana's known for. Buffalo, maybe. Oh, buffalo, buffalo. I, I hear that's very it. good. All right. Well, yeah, whatever. Montana. <laughs> I'm still. I'm still pulling for you, Montana. I, I always think about Montana in terms of just like, what are they known for? What is that? Th- what is the specialty there? Like, you come to New York. Mm. I'm gonna yeah. get you a beast. I'm gonna get you a bacon, egg, and cheese. Like when uh, Jonathan mm. Porter comes here, or Jared Thatcher, these guys come up here. I always give them go. I go to the deli and I get a bacon, egg, and cheese because that's what we're known for in New York. The breakfast sandwich, the bodega breakfast sandwich. So that to me is. So I always think about when you're going to another place. Maybe they're gonna give you the specialty of the area. You know. Yeah. You gotta work on that, Alec. You gotta work on something. There's gotta be something because <laughs> I, I just I feel like there's something there you just don't know. Probably, yeah. You got a chance to go visit Jimmy Duresta a couple years ago. A couple yeah. years ago? Mm-hmm. And you took a blacksmithing class with Rory, um, yeah. Dirty Smith. And you was that your first time blacksmithing? Yes. How much yes. did you love it? Absolutely loved it. I wish I could do it so much more. I feel like you have the mentality, and you, one of the things you also do when you need to bend steel, which I love in your videos, is you actually use map gas uh, cylinders, and mm-hmm. then you you heat up the steel that you need to heat up, and then you you know you map gas, and then you bend you're able to bend it yeah. and it, and fire brick. And there are a couple of videos where you actually like slow, you know, you're walking around while the steel's heating up. I feel yeah. like with your experience. In as a mechanic or with engineering or with like able you know the ability to use different types of materials I would think you could you would be such a great blacksmith and almost to be like I'm looking for the chosen one I'm looking for the person who can be the an innovative modern day blacksmith who's going to come up with these ideas that are just going to be revolutionary thank you very much yeah I mean making the chair with Alec I've wanted to forge furniture ever since I, you know, I first blacksmithed and it was that making that chair was so cool. Like the idea is, I mean, it kind of aligns with everything else that I do that's ridiculous and excessive and it doesn't need to be the way it is, but I take it that extra notch and like making something that's traditionally made out of wood and making it out of steel, um, I, that interests me so much. I I worry about blacksmithing now, and I talk about this a lot. I talk about it with some of my other friends who are blacksmiths. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's not as much innovation as there should be. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that's very very. Um, it's older stuff. It's stuff that's been done before. It's you know whatever you know. I make the joke that you know everyone does a bottle opener. Um, yeah. You know, like a forged bottle opener. These forged things that they've seen before, and I feel like. You know, blacksmithing to me is like, you know, it's pottery, basically, you know, and, and I feel like there's so much interpretation for, there's so much ability for it to be manipulated to, for a modern use. And I just yeah. feel like we're, 
where like it's almost like you know your brain you only use what do you you know better than I do but where your brain only uses like eleven percent of your brain I feel like we're not we're only using eleven percent of our blacksmithing brain like I feel like I, that's a big problem I totally agree I think there's like it could it could be used in so many more ways like like in a more I think yeah traditionally well. I won't say I won't go down that road because I don't know blacksmithing as well as a lot of other people. But anyways, like the machine, like blacksmithing could be used um, for like modern, more modern looking furniture with nice, long, slender right. tapers and slim dimensions and like, uh, like, or even in mechanical stuff, like either, like, I've, I, I, have you seen the the mecha- the forged bottle opener I made, the mechanical one? Oh yeah, the one where you hit it, you you hit you hit one side and it fires the the piston up yeah. and it blows. Yeah, of course. That's why I'm saying. That's why I mean that was the one thing that I saw. I was just like, oh, this this guy is using his head and he's using these traditional techniques to do something a little bit more original. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, things to be unearthed in blacksmithing. Well, I'm very excited to see what. Uh, it's it's more of like coming back because i mean you can look at one of the one of the things is like if you look at you know blacksmithing in the um in like the Czech Republic area that was like the biggest p- place for innovation in terms of you know railing structures and you know a lot of power the power hammer um the, you know the power hammer leaves and power hammer swirls and you know f- architecture and design really kind of like really blossomed to innovation in the Czech Republic. And then when construction kind of, you know, did what construction did, there was like almost like this lapse that also is, you know, dovetails with, you know, there used to be a blacksmith in every, uh, you know, uh, Ford dealership or Ford plant or, you know, these, every place had a blacksmith, you know, and then when the, you know, then machinists came through and then they kicked blacksmiths out. So you're seeing now is a lot more, you know, people like Alex Pohl and, you know, those guys and, 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 uh, mm-hmm. the tool makers and stuff like that. And there's, there's this kind of, I wouldn't say it's a resurgence. I would say you're seeing more of it because, you know, people are, some people are taking advantage of Instagram and social media, but there seems to be like, I, I always hope that somebody's going to make something more use more blacksmithing techniques to solve a modern problem and this That's is a good point yeah. yeah but i mean it's because and one of the things is is because and it's interesting with you is because because you do so much more machining work and you still you know i know that you don't have a mill or whatever that doesn't mean anything to me like if you're you know using tubing and then you're cutting it apart to make it t- you know you're cutting those v's out to make a taper in a piece of tubing, I mean that's to a certain degree that's machining. Or using a drill press, that's machining. I I, I I feel like I feel like the hardest part for most metal workers and machinists is to get into blacksmithing because they're totally different. There's there's so much less uh, exact qualities to it, and it's much more about finesse and feeling comfortable with, with finesse. And I just, and I just wonder if you're going to start seeing people do things, not just sculptural, but things that can help, you know? I think that would be a really cool combination to take something rough, not necessarily rough, but like a forged texture and geometry, and then do some like, uh, machining to it where you can spot face or you can machine like 
kind of like how uh, on some knives where you've got the scale on the spine and then the bevels are, are clean right. and ground. Right. I think that could be some really cool contrast. Well, but it's to me, to me, it's more like when I look at if if you were to ask me who I think embodies not only the machinist and the blacksmith and the technical abilities plus the blacksmithing abilities. Cause I, I really feel like it's left. I think machining and machinists and uh, blacksmiths is very left brain, right brain. I, I go back to Cliff Dufton every single time. Cliff Dufton is one of these guys. He can do both and he can do both with, he can kind of go in and out of both brains with forging and machining like nobody else I've ever seen. He's got very traditional technique. He's got an incredible brain. And he has, you know, you remind me of him in a certain regards. Actually, in the last episode I was supposed to have with those guys, he and I were talking, we met, we were talking about you because what he does is something that you do a lot, which is because you don't have a water jet or a laser fabrication situation, you get stuff, you learned Fusion 360, and you're able to send uh send programs to laser jet or water jet or laser plasma places and have stuff mm-hmm. made and that's what he does yeah yeah that's been a like it like having so i'm working with the laser cutting service on uh, so you know you upload files and then they send you a part laser cut and that has like not having like you know i don't have that tool in my shop but now having access to that service has changed the way I solve problems. Just like anytime you get a new tool, it like opens, it unlocks a new part of your brain. You know, like before I got a welder, you just figured out how to bolt stuff together. But once I got a welder, you know, you can think differently about solving problems. That's one thing he was telling me about. He and John uh, Ariani just made some anvil stands. They were talking, we were talking all about it and their audio screwed up and I had to throw it all away. But he uses fusion 360 or no he uses rhino he uses rhino and he has gotten to the point where all his parts for the presses that he makes for the guillotine tools that he makes uh we made some bottle openers for an event he uh, he did all that and then what he started to do was he would every single time they would come back he would make a thing he would figure out ways to make it more easy for him to use like i said like when he's making this the presses he figured out the program or rhino or whatever and he designed all the parts and then he started to have them light laser in light layup lines uh-huh. so when he's fabricating everything together the layout lines are already there so he knows where the he knows where the parts meet up brilliant so yep. It was, it was this, he's, that he is constantly, like, he's never satisfied with the work that he's done because he's always like, oh, I can, how can I make this easier? And then he'll, he'll take the thing and he'll make it some adjustments and the next one will be different and the next one will be different. And then, like I said, he'll, he'll have welding lines where he knows things need to be lined up and he doesn't, all he doesn't have to get the, the dicum and the straight edge out anymore. It's all ready to go, mm-hmm. you know? And That's I just great. I feel like guys like you and Cliff are are in that way where you don't have a you don't have the ability to you don't have a plasma cutter and you don't want to even even if you did have a plasma cutter maybe you know you don't want to invest the time and the energy to use it but you can use three Fusion three sixty or Rhino and then you can actually develop you know these parts and then mm-hmm. let can we talk about the vice that you just made yeah 
And so the so I, I made a foot vise um, about two years ago. I, I fabricated one just out of tube and plate steel. Uh, and then recently I, I did a version two where it's entirely laser cut, except for a couple pieces of bar stock right. for the jaws and whatnot. Um, and similar to how Cliff is doing those etched lines for layout, um, the whole vise has tab and slot joinery. So there's literally zero measuring. It just fits together. You clamp it and you weld it. So the intention is to eventually make it a kit, a weld-it-yourself kit to sell. I love that. And there's guys out there. I know that a friend of the show, uh, Brian House from Workford Podcast, I know he has that done with his grinders. He's got a grinding company where if you're not following Brian House, you're making a huge mistake. Good dude. And he makes, he figured out the cut, the, you know, to get the parts so you can fabricate your own two by 72 grinder. You know, it's, Mm. I think that the, I think that what I would love to do, but it's just, I'm so loath to do it because honestly, I've gotten to the age where I'm so resentful of certain things I need to learn how to do. And I resent it is the ability to learn you know, Fusion 360 or, or use um, those programs to be able to, because you're free, you know? Yeah. It's so freeing. If you can do that, if you could do, learn how to, you know, fabricate, if you can learn how to use th- Fusion 360 so you can make those things. I mean, it's just, it's it's Chinese to me. Like, I can't figure out how you figured out how they're all going to fit together. Yeah, it, CAD is so powerful uh, in that, like, you know, if you want to spend the time, you can fully build something without cutting any material. And, and CAD doesn't necessarily apply to every project I do. Sometimes I, I like the foot vice, I fully model every detail and animate it in CAD before I cut material. But some projects just calls for some cardboard and hot glue. And that's I saw you do that in one video where you something wasn't right, so you brought the cardboard out and then you you made like a template. Mm-hmm. it's the future it's the future but I'm convinced that the true innovators are going to be the blacksmiths who figure out how to use their skill to make something that they need now like I made some crack to somebody that uh, that they should make somebody's got to figure out how to make a forged uh, retra- uh, retractable not a retractable knife but a forged or uh, disposable razor blade box cutter you know, the, mm. when you get a box cutter that, that holds razor blades. Yes. I'm convinced, and somebody did it. It was Cloverfield Forge uh, in the UK did it. He he made one after I made it. I, I said, why why can't we, if you can make a bottle opener, why can't you make something that holds a razor blade with very limited amount of material? I, because that's the one thing I use. I use those razor blades. I never put them mm-hmm. in the, I never put them in the, in the knives because it's just, I don't want to get the screwdriver out. You yeah, know? That's a great idea. Well, I like that. Well, I'm hoping some blacksmiths do something because I'm convinced that I, I feel sorry. I don't feel sorry. I, I want to like, I want these blacksmiths to make things that are a little bit more usable and current. Like, I feel like there's, mm-hmm. we're, we're not using all of our heads. We're a lot of, I make jokes. I mean, I make jokes. You don't, you don't say a word. I make jokes about, you know, knife makers and blacksmiths. They just make whatever everybody else makes. Like, and I call, I call them most of them thieves. Which is I'm not I don't I will never back down from that. Most of them are thieves, and um, I I feel like that thievery I understand inspiration and stuff like that, but I feel like there's 
ways. It, it just can't be just bottle openers. I mean, I, it's, I, I can't, it can't be just bottle openers. I mean, you're talking about something that's like pottery, but it's permanent. And you don't have to put it in a kiln. And you don't have to worry about it falling over. It's not going to fall over. You're going to hit it, and then you're going to make sure you have enough material, and then you're going to make something that you could put in your pocket. Why can't we figure out something other than a bottle opener? Yeah, that's great. Like you're saying saying earlier, like now that we don't need blacksmithing necessarily for like everyday practical uses, we can take the opportunity to use it for making everyday items or modern solutions that it is maybe isn't necessarily more practical or more efficient than like an everyday like an Ulfa knife or whatever, but it's just nice to use and looks very cool and is fun to make. I think there, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of innovation that is possible. I, I actually, a number of months ago, I talked to my friend, Jeremy Spake. Happy birthday. It's Jeremy Spake's birthday sometimes around now. And he's my friend. And he and I were talking about on the podcast, he was talking about, you know, you know, I don't, you know, he's like, he has a particular feelings about knife makers being innovative. And I agree with him. He, he's much more traditional. He, 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 he was appreciative. He's appreciative of the traditions and the cultures. And he doesn't feel that there's almost a sense of arrogance to the con. And I'm not, Jeremy, don't text me and say, I got you wrong. Just, just allow me to just say what I thought you said. And if I'm wrong, it'll be fine. But I, I understand, I took it as, they're almost like this concept of there's a degree of arrogance to, you know, thinking that you can be more innovative than what's already been out there. Now, I know that when we talk about blacksmithing, I'm very, I'm very, I personally am very flippant about it because in the United States, there's been such a lack of, of, of passing down of information, especially to blacksmiths that we're like doing so much catch up in terms of what we used to know. Like there are products now that, are not used anymore. Like there were, uh, there's a traditional uh, blacksmith up in Maine. His name, I forgot his name, but he makes pots. Uh, uh, Jim Hoffman, Jim Hoffman, J-Y-M-M Hoffman. And he teaches classes on how to forge cooking pots, cooking pots and cooking pans. And there's so much geometry and volume that's involved with it. It's just something we just don't do anymore. You know, you see, you know, people, they spin them or they do whatever. It's it's to me. There's such a lack of information in regards that have hasn't been passed along, and it drives me crazy because it's like like I said, we're doing catch up, and now it's the point where we're like, okay, great, now we know how to do, you know, Art Deco scrolls, but we're not doing Art Deco anymore. This is 2020. We got to figure out ways to be more current, and I'm and it just it bothers me, you know. Yeah, like my foot vice, for example, um, I think the last U.S. patent on a foot vice expired in the 1920s. I don't know when they stopped making them, huh. but the, the old cast iron foot vices that I think were used for farriers, and they only opened an inch wide. Right. And there's, they're very specific to farriers, I think. Um, but now, like, that concept of a foot-operated floor-standing vice for like angle grinding or blacksmithing even like i think that has a a place in the market now even even more than it just being a super cool novelty vice i think it could be really useful and i think or that's why i'm excited about doing a modern updated laser cut version i 
you just reminded me of something. I went out last time I was down in Florida and I was teaching a blacksmithing class at Doghouse Forge. Jonathan Porter's a, a farrier. He had in his shop a spring activated vice. So mm-hmm. when your foot is off the vice, so it, you have to imagine it's it's like a, it's it's up in the air and then there's like these it's almost like two flat plates that are like like if you were to like a sandwich like a like a if like a sandwich the bottom yeah. plate and then the top plate when your foot is off the pedal it's in the finished it's in the closed position when you put your foot down on the pedal it opens up so there's an incredible amount of spring i'll have to get pictures for you but there's an incredible amount of spring and it's for holding horseshoes it's for holding horseshoes so they're horizontal so it's almost like yeah. in the air to be able to, I don't know, file it or whatever. It, but it's not straight up and down. Like your vice, you know, if you put a horseshoe and it would be straight up and down. Well, this one is not that way. It would be, you'd be kind of parallel to the ground. The horseshoe would be parallel to the ground. But you're, you're, you're putting your foot down to release the vice. So all the pressure and the tension is when it's in the not used position. And it was super strong. I cut, I put a piece of steel in there to cut it. I couldn't believe how much pressure there was to that it was holding it without me touching it. So the wow. release was pushing, pushing. Does this make sense? Am I making sense? Yes. So it yeah, pushed down. It's the normally pe- closed. It's normally closed. I have to get Jonathan to send you pictures because it's that concept, and that you were saying that they, these, you know, these they're hot, whatever, hot filing the horseshoes or whatever, and they can't t- hold it, and maybe they they don't have a rig that they can, you know, these guys they have, well, you know, like wagons and stuff or or uh, trailers that they mount their vices to but this thing is freestanding and it's heavy and then you put your foot down and then the, it holds on to the thing i just find all that stuff fascinating you know i yeah, i just don't very very cool i i see this is the reason why i see i i'm, I'm hoping that you're going to do more blacksmithing because you have a mindset of you don't worry about materials. You're not like beholden to I only use steel or I only use aluminum. You were using to, for your cousin's thing. You were using the PVC pipe, and you were using you know you use uh, when you on your knife gun. You had this you know this Teflon material so it would slide faster. And you understand you're not bound to one material. And I feel like that innovation, that mind of yours, to like here's a project, here's a problem we are having. And how are we going to make it? How are we going to figure it out? I feel like, I feel like blacksmithing is for you. I feel especially that you're just 23. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I'm really excited to get get into it more. I'm looking forward to it. You might have and to. The do, diff- sorry, you're saying uh, the the different material thing is like like every yeah I'm not hold beholden to a certain material because every material has a different use case and you just pick whatever one makes more sense. And I have. Uh, I have like a lifelong goal to get my craft to the point where you can hand me any material and a problem and I can make a solution. I like I like being a generalist. I feel that that's very important. And I feel like a lot of makers get comfortable in what they're doing and they're they they're not as uh they're not as flexible in regards to well I only use this. Mhm. I, it, it's interesting to me, and I had to learn that in my last metal shop because we were, you know, all of a sudden it's all, you know, it's all out the window. We're using double-sided tape, and we're figuring out rubber gaskets, and we're using glass, and we're, you know, we were using, you know, hole saws and all this stuff that you're using, and but but we're having to use it. It's a different mindset because we're just using different materials, and but we're not mm-hmm. we're not and we're not against it. So with that said. 
I was, I wanted to pass an idea. I wanted to hand you an idea, really. I have an idea that it was, I had this idea years ago. And, and if you want it, I give it to you. With, with peace and love, I give it to you. I love street food. Street food to me, pardon me, street food to me is about being able to walk around with something. And back when I was after college, my wife and I moved to uh, the um, 14th Street, Lower East Side, uh, we, East Village, and we could walk to Chinatown, we could walk to uh, Italy, we could walk, it was the perfect spot to like, we would leave, we had this very small apartment, so if you have a very small apartment, what do you do? You walk around the city. So we would go everywhere. And we used to go to Chinatown, and we loved it. And I would grab something in the street. I wanted to eat because I, I hated sitting in restaurants, especially you're in New York City in Chinatown or whatever, because it'll if it's in the middle of the day, you want to see the the heartbeat of the city. I wanted to see the blood flowing. I wanted to see the people. I wanted to. I, ha- I hated sitting in restaurants, especially in Chinatown. At night, it's nice, but in the daytime, it was like I need to like. So I was constantly buying street food. And the street food, I, I don't know what possessed me, but I ended up getting a small container of lo mein. You know what lo mein is. It's like, you know, noodles and whatever. And they handed me the little con- the cardboard container of lo mein. And they handed me the chopsticks. They handed me the, 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 the napkin. And I'm walking around and I can't, you can't do it. You can't walk and eat lo mein. Just, just too. It's just hard. It's uh, the perfect one of the perfect walk around street foods is a hot dog. It's a directional object. You can hold it in one hand, and you have a, your hand is the feeder, and you're delivering the the food. Same thing with pizza. Pizza is directional. Obviously, you 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 have your hand, you have your direction down the thatch. You can walk and do everything. I got so crazy about this lo mein that I thought I felt like. It's just too hard with the with the chopsticks. I was hoping. I thought maybe if they made the noodles kind of more like a cone. And then I was thinking, well, but if they made it like a cone, how would you eat it? And how would you make it like a cone? It would have to be woven. And then I came up with the idea, and I've always wanted to make the noodle loom. Ah. Something to weave the pasta or to weave the noodles to make it like a cone. And I, for for I used to make jokes to my my partner Tony. Like, We're gonna do the noodle loom someday. We'll do the noodle loom. There has to be a way to make pasta or spaghetti or noodles something you can eat with your hands. And I think I love that. I think the noodle loom is it. The noodle loom. I'm, That's fantastic. I'm giving it to you. I've never mentioned this before. I talked to my friends. I can't. I can't do it. It's not for me. It's for you. I think that you, if you, whatever you want to do with it, I'm not putting you on the spot. You don't have to make a, you don't have to, Fader wants me to make a noodle. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm just saying if somebody were to cough up something good, I think that's you. Very cool idea. And I think it's funny how people come up with different solutions from different angles because when you said eating noodles on the go, I thought of, instead of re-engineering the noodle, I thought of re-engineering the utensil. And so I was thinking of like, oh. uh, you know, those hairbrushes that are like a cylinder. And so all the, the tines are in like every direction around yeah. the circumference. So what if like it's like a fork, but it's a cylind- cylindrical fork with a little pokey yeah. bits around it. And, and they're bendy enough to where you could 
stick it in your mouth and pull it straight out and pull the noodles off the end. But you can't look but crazy. But you just like spin it. But you can't look crazy. That's, yeah, see, that's right. the problem. Right. See, this is what yeah. this is the whole point of the noodle loom is you're giving yourself a, a directional or, you know, you could eat an ice cream cone and no one thinks you're crazy. Mm-hmm. But if you were to like put a hairbrush of pasta in your mouth, <laughs> I mean, I think that Very that true. would be odd. Don't you, Tyler? Do <laughs> you think that would be true. odd? I'm looking for a way to to have a have a and then it, I was thinking about it today. I was like, yeah, the noodle loom. We're gonna give it to give Tyler the noodle loom, and then I thought maybe we should just egg roll everything. Maybe we just need to get uh, egg roll wrappers, shove your shove your shove your lo mein in the egg roll wrappers, deep fry it, and then you walk around with a egg roll full of lo mein. I just I, I don't know. I always thought I always mm-hmm. thought that there must there has to be a, a new a new invent. I think food invention is going to be is still people are suckers for food inventions. Have you noticed that? Yeah. People love people huh. love some nonsense. The one, you know you know who made a pile of money? Some kid who figured out how to make a microwave bacon tray, a tray that you stick the the bacon on and it cooks it in the microwave uh-huh. so it doesn't get all like gloppy. Made a lot of money. People are wow. suckers for the foods, the food yeah. delivery, food delivery ideas. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the noodle the slap chop. Oh, you know, I was thinking Go the ahead. other day, how could I reinvent the slap chop? What is thinking, the slap well, chop? Oh, so it's like uh, it's like a it's like a a cup. You let's say you're dicing onions or something, right. and you put this cup on top of the onion, right? And there's a like a pad on the top you slap with your hand right and it's got like a bunch of vertical knives that that like chop down and then lift and turn and chop again do you, you know what's hot you know what i do for a living right i make the kitchen knives i'm not yeah, gonna be yeah, reinventing yeah, that yeah. i'm a, like, tyler what are you doing but, what are you doing you know, what if you, what if what are you making what my life I'm... what are you doing in my life here <laughs> you're like coming up with a slap chop come on man we gotta, we gotta keep people learning do... how to use the knives i'm talking about the noodle loom Okay, but what if you want like think of, think of like a pneumatic slap chop, right? right. You just like or or like uh, you know sounds dangerous, and it also or, sounds like a sounds like a Cuisinart. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have some peril in the kitchen. Oh, there you go, bringing it back to peril, huh? I see. I think that's what you need to tell your parents. I, th- I definitely think that if you had a pneumatic slap chop, that would be a tough one to convince your parents to let you bring in the house. <laughs> that and the uh, the uh, the hairbrush uh, pasta eater. That's a problem. Yeah. But there's yeah. got to be a way. See, I'm convinced that there's got to be a way to make f- street food more easy to eat. But then you all of a sudden you have a thing, you know? I don't know. That's mm. just my idea. I was trying to figure out. I was trying to figure out different inventions. Different. Inv- what What are the What are the main problems now that we need to deal with? That you need to do. Uh, you need to figure out how to fix. Oh, I had an idea. This is something that I was I was thinking about your I was thinking about your cousin's situation. When are you going to start getting involved with drones? I'm convinced that drones are going to fix everything. Right? You know? Like I'm what working are- on a, a project at work where they want to suspend a tool from a counterweight because of ergonomics. And, I was, and we're trying to figure out like how to mount this boom to hang the counterweight from and you know we got, you know, trying not to bolt things to the floor. I'm like, why don't you just hang the tool from a drone? Uh, jokingly, but you know, like, come on, we're gonna start hanging stuff from drones. I was it's al- the future. I was almost thinking, like, at one point, I was thinking because I was thinking about your cousin, and I'm, this is not—I was not making this is not a joke. I was thinking, what if he had? What if you had like a drone belt, like some sort of belt 
that will allow them to kind of suspend them up so they could actually kind of propel themselves by walking. Because, you know, they have these drones that are like, if you're like a skier, you can have the drone kind of like stay within a certain amount of uh, space from mm. you so it can video camera you or video you and stuff like that. And I'm convinced, that I've always been convinced since these drones happened that that's going to be the next level of security, personal security. You're no longer going to need anything other than you're going to have a tactical drone that flies to your to your side like a parrot. It's going to be wow. this it's going to be this I'm con, I've been convinced of this for a couple of years now. You're going to have a personal drone that is going to fly or going to sit on your shoulder or fly right above your shoulder like a, a parrot, but it will have whatever you it's going to have whatever you need to make sure that you're safe. You know? Wow. The future. I'm convinced, huh. but I'm see but see See, you're too nice. You're worrying. You're you you you've gone down the right path. You're making stuff like, you know, easier ways to clean their dishes and stuff. I'm worried about like you know, you know, security drones. I can't do. It's too much for me. It's too much for me. So what's the next? What's the next? What's the next project you're going to work on? I know that you said you're working on something big. Um, well, the, the big stuff, uh, will come eventually in the future, not necessarily right away, but next up is, um, I'm making a blast shield just like they had on Mythbusters, polycarbonate blast shield. What's the, what's that? I don't watch. So, so on Mythbusters, like when they would do stuff dangerous, they would, instead of being in a bunker, they would set up this, basically it's a, uh, a trifold like a seven by three foot panel, three of them linked together. And you would stand, and it's like, it's like a a metal frame and polycarbonate, clear polycarbonate panel so you can hide behind and keep you from the shrapnel and stuff. Are you expecting shrapnel in the future? Um, you never know. Well, so I would have liked, yeah, yeah, you know, I would have liked to have had it with the home run machine instead of just standing there right next to it like a, like an idiot, but yeah. I was I was expecting I was expecting you at one point and this is me just being obnoxious. I was expecting there to be a drone that like you could hit the ball to. I don't know why oh. I thought that. I was like, yeah, he's going to figure out some way to try to hit the ball to the drone. The drone's going to catch the ball because that's the that next thing great. with the home run machine. Yeah. Now you have to have a catching machine, right? I think that's the future of sports. You just like everybody sitting in the dugout piloting drones trying to catch balls. Not to mention. You almost hit a car. That was that was peril. Oh my god! That was real yes. peril. If you watch the home run machine, he put a lacrosse ball. I watched your videos, oh, Tyler. Man. I do my research. He put a, he put a he put a lacrosse ball on the tee, and the home run machine drilled this rubber lacrosse ball almost to a car, like four hundred feet. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I I love it, and you didn't. There was no there was no sense. You just laughed, and you know, oh, don't worry, we weren't gonna hit you. Don't worry, man. They Tyler Bell, so you can laugh about it. Tyler Bell, you're a very fascinating individual. I'm looking forward to the future with you, Tyler. I, I think that there's I see big things with you. Thank you very much, Jeff. I I appreciate that a ton. Very flattered. I'm hoping very happy to have more, been on the podcast. I'm hoping there's going to be more blacksmithing out of you. I I feel like I feel like I feel like you need some propellant. I feel like you need to be in that the propellant yeah. of blacksmithing yeah. because you know the shrapnel and the the blast shield. P.S. How what did your parent? What did your parent? What did you tell your parents about the blast shield yet? 
yeah, they, they know. And they know. Like I said, it, they don't ask why anymore. It's just, it's just oh, normal. It just happens. You know, so, you know, all right. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm convinced. And you know, you, you're in the Seattle area, the blacksmithing community out there. Ballard Forge, Ballard. Those guys at Ballard are amazing. They're like the riveting machine. You know what Ballard? Yeah, yeah Will and I are talking about him. Yeah, That's what great. Will's out there. He goes out there with with Cliff, and it's the blacksmithing community out out in the Pacific Northwest is about as good as it gets. You Nick Wheeler's out there. You got all sorts of dudes. I I, I feel yeah. like I feel like there needs. I I really if I could sponsor someone to get more blacksmithing, I think you're the person I'd want to sponsor. I feel like you mm. need it in your life. You're I the agree. chosen one. I'm convinced you're the chosen one in the black. <laughs> oh I, for goodness. some reason, I had this idea. I was just like, you know, Tyler Bell might be the chosen one. Huh. You're, you're, I I'm, definitely, definitely look forward to doing it. I think that, well, the reason I haven't already is just uh, that's that's one thing my, my dad put his foot down on. He's like, no forging here, please. And, <laughs> that you know, I'm running into limitations so well, there will be much greater things to come once I get my loud. own space. It is loud. That yeah. is a problem. I had to like I had to cut it out in my, in my backyard uh, garage because the neighbors would want to stop by and just oh hey what's going on I hear you tinking along I'm like, I can't have the, I can't have these people here. <laughs> it was really a problem. It was a very it's a big problem. That is a problem. But yeah. I feel like you could still do it. I'm 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 pulling for you as the chosen one. Thank you, Jeff. Is maybe I should name this part, this article. I mean, that's what I'm going to name this episode: Tyler Bell, the Chosen One. That's what do you, I'm going to. That's what I'm going to name. You, you have no choice anymore. It's all over. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, guys, you, you got to go. Here's what we're going to. I'm telling you, go follow Tyler Bell. Tyler Bell makes on Instagram. He's great. I'm hoping he's going to have more merch. He's got great. He's got a great style. He's got great graphic design. Sometimes he wears a a a, a, a Berber a Berber vest, which I appreciate. Old school. I appreciate that very much. I like his whole style, his whole look. He's doing big things, and his videos are fun. His brother, you got to figure out a way to make. You got to you got to tell him that you got to just tell him to be a little bit more miserable on camera. It'll. <laughs> I'm telling you, it'll it'll work for you. It'll work for him. I I love it when he's miserable. I like him to be a little bit more miserable for my own taste. That's my own personal taste. Thank you Great. to I your parents. Thank you to mm. your parents for for allowing yes. your your allow. You know, you're too you're too good to them. You, they 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 just know you. Wait till the blast shield comes out, parents. The blast shield's coming out. I think shrapnel was mentioned. So watch your p's and q's. Go to Tyler Bell. Is your is your YouTube channel Tyler Bell makes or just Tyler Bell? Both works. Tyler Bell. Check out his his videos. They're very well put together. They're very, very well put together. I love the music. I love the film cuts, the quality. I don't watch a lot of YouTube videos, but I appreciate the work that you put into yours. I wouldn't do it because I, it's just not for me. But I'm impressed with what you do. Now, the other thing, guys, is go to Instagram, Full Blast Podcast, and you're going to follow me and then interact. And this is the reason why you're going to interact. I have a pair of isotunes extra professional noise isolating earbuds they gave me a pair and i was going to keep it but then i decided i'm going to give it to you the listener so here's what i want you to do i want your funny stories of redemption i want you to dm me you had a bad something had happened and something good came out of it or something bad like i said something bad happened and then something good came out of it funny is going to win Edited is going to win. And when I say edited, I also mean short. I've got a few sent to me. They are tomes. 
They are they're mon- I'm going to need Tyler to 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 invent me a reading machine because some of them are too long. I can't read. You got to make them so I can read them on the podcast. And I will give these out anywhere in the world. Thank you, Isotunes, for these professional noise isolating earbuds. They're OSHA compliant guys, and don't fall into that that trap of just sticking your earbuds, your regular earbuds, in and then putting uh, earmuffs over them. It doesn't work. It's not good for your ears. So send me your send me your stories of redemption. Make them funny. Make them, f- and then I'm gonna pick one, and then I'm gonna send one out. I got a few I already like. I'm having problems. Make my work harder. Make me work harder, guys. And with that said, go follow. Thank you so much, Tyler. I'm very fast. You're a fascinating young man. I'm looking forward to what you are doing in the future. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, This was super fun, and you're a great storyteller and interviewer. I really enjoy this show. Too kind. Too kind. All right, guys. I will see you next week. Oh, you know what I have next week? I have Nico Tavernisi. Now, Nico Tavernisi is an old friend of mine. He is the set photographer to the stars. He did the set photography for the Joker movie, for the John Wick movie, for Spider-Man, for uh, the... uh, He's got stories, and he was my first podcasting partner. We had this crazy podcast called The Downward Spiral when you were all very young, fine, and he's going to be on next week, and it's going to be great. It's going to be great. He and I did 60 episodes of Downward Spiral, and we're coming back for the next episode of the the Knife Talk podcast. What podcast is this? Full Blast podcast. And we're going to see you next week with Nico. Thanks, everybody, and thanks again, Tyler. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.